0: Hello and welcome to the James Sheets podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: Some say 1556, that uh, things have gone from bad to worse. And there is reference in those first four or five verses, four verses particularly, to the fact that uh, the, the people were getting uh, very wicked. Adam had worshipped God, but he, his family certainly had not followed very well in those footsteps. And by the time of Noah, there, the, the people were becoming very immoral and very ungodly. By this time, there probably were around a million people upon the earth, based upon the length of the lives of these men. And you will find in the fifth chapter a a listing of all the generations from Adam all the way up to, to Noah. And there were some important people in there, such as Enoch, who did not die. God took him. There was Methuselah, who was the oldest man that ever lived. Uh, So uh, we have uh, some of those characters, but I want to jump over to, to Noah. And people were multiplying rapidly on the face of the earth. And the second verse of the sixth chapter says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and decided that they wanted to marry them. And there's been a lot of confusion as to who the sons of God actually were. And some have suggested that these were perhaps angels. It won't fit that, for them to be angels because angels are not sex individuals. They are not male and female. They don't reproduce. They were a created uh, personality that God brought into being. They don't marry and don't uh, produce their offspring none of this takes place and we find that from various other sections of the scripture so when it comes to the sons of God and we're left with the question as to who they are the uh, uh, the Bible would I think would would tend to indicate though there's nothing exact on it that probably the sons of God were the descendants that came through uh, Seth or uh, uh, yes Seth uh, and the men, the the people who are the sons of men or the daughters of men are actually the lineage of Cain that refused uh, to worship and serve God and so through the third person born to Adam and Eve comes the line of the Hebrew people Jewish people are through the this line Uh, there would be others that would have come off the line of Cain, and we probably could trace ours back to Cain. I'm not going to deal with that. Now, the verse number three indicates that God has said that his spirit is not always going to strive with men. There is a full sermon in that, but it simply points out that God is going to tolerate sin waywardness, immorality, disrespect, all of those things to a point. And when that point is reached, he's going to call halt. We cannot think in terms of depending upon God's grace always to the point that we are always going to escape. We can sin and not do any damage, we seem to think. To ourselves, to our family, to our church, to our community, to whoever. who We can do whatever we want to do and we're going to get by because of God's grace. The scripture says that he is not always going to be tolerant. And he will call a halt to a person's in, uh, inability or unwillingness to actually serve him. Now, verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of men was great in all the earth, so they have simply gone, gone bad. They were doing, according to verse 5, all every imaginations of the thoughts of their heart. Anything they could think up. they were doing. Sounds like 1990, doesn't it? Look at what we even see on regular television, let alone about the, the other types of, uh, of things that are put out as far as movies and, and books and all that stuff is concerned. It was so bad that it got to the point that God said in verse 6 that he was actually sorry he even made man. He repented. He said it that he was, it grieved him to his heart to the point that he regretted that he'd ever made man. I've said that about my kids on a few occasions. I'm sorry I brought you into this world. And as Bill Cosby said, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world, you know, shave up. And this is really what God is saying. I regret that I gave you this right, this freedom to do as you please because look what you have done with it. You have simply gone your own way and destroyed everything that I intended. And unfortunately, God's grace does give us that right of choice, and He has not taken it away from us. So, what's He going to do in verse seven? He says that I'm going to destroy a man that I've created who face the earth, I'm going to wipe him out. He's going to do what? He's going to wipe out both man and beast and every creeping thing and all the fowls of the air. Everything that he has made, he is going to wipe out. That's how aggravated he was with what he saw in man. Now in the midst of all of this distress, one man then stands out. There was one man that found grace. Verse 8. I'm going to preach a sermon on finding grace one of these days. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And why did he find grace? Because in verse 9 he was a just man. He was a perfect man. He walked with God. Now listen, a person who walks with God has got to be pretty good. They were close friends. They had a close association, a close fellowship. He was a good man, spent time with God, he was just in every way. And when God thought about destroying everybody on the face of the earth, he saw that there was one man in all of this million people that was right, and his name was Noah and in God's mind, and he said, I just simply cannot destroy Adam, I mean uh, Noah, I just can't destroy Noah, because he's perfect, he's a just man, so he made provisions for the salvation of a man who is just, now Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, three boys, evidently He had taught those boys well, and his wife was was also a believer. This family was good. And so he comes to Noah, and he says to Noah, I am going to end all the flesh upon the earth. Everything I've created, I'm going to destroy. But I'm going to save you. I'll destroy the earth. He said, I want you to make an ark. I don't, not very many of you would have been here probably three and a half years ago. I spoke from this particular passage of scripture, and I tried to copy Bill Cosby in his little story about uh, Noah. I'm going to try to do it again uh, for the benefit of this story, and maybe you'll enjoy it a little bit. But Bill Cosby does it well. I really like his humor. And so the thing that he did, and some of you have heard it, no doubt, and I'll do a poor imitation of Bill Cosby. Any of you remember when I did that? Not one of Good. You remember it, maybe. Either I didn't make a very good impression or, not, or you weren't here. But that was a long time ago. The story is that, I'm going to use the microphone for effect here, that God calls down to Noah, Noah, yes, Lord. Noah, I want you to make me an ark. Sure. Oh, uh, Lord. Yes? What's an ark? Well, oh, just never you mind. You just make me an ark that's 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. And you put a door in, the wind in, and you put a little inch so that it will float. Now remember, there hasn't been any water to fall on the earth yet. So Noah has to take all of this by faith. So Noah begins the process of building the ark. And all of his neighbors and friends gather around and watch him for those hundred years working on this big old boat of some sort. 450 some feet long. He makes it. And they stand around and say, uh, Hey, Noah, what are you doing? Noah says, uh, I'm not going to tell you. They say, Oh, come on, at least give us a hint. And Noah says, All right, I'll give you one hint. How long can you tread water? So Noah goes on building the boat. They start putting the animals in and he's pushing two old hippos up the ramp. Noah, what do you want? He's getting pretty aggravated and sweaty because he's having trouble getting all those animals down in that ark. Noah, I told you a male and a female. Those hippos are both males. Now you take one of them off and you put a female on there. I'm not going to do it. you realize how much trouble I've had getting those two hippos up that ramp? And if you want to move, you move them. And besides, look at all of that stuff down at the bottom of that ark. Who's going to clean that? Do you think I'm going to clean all that up? Noah. What? How long can you tread water? Now... That's not a very good imitation of Bill Cosby, as you can well recognize, but it gets the point. Noah had the job of preparing the ark. And it's going to flood. Let me give you some things about the ark and the flood. Do you know how big that ark was? It had the carrying capacity of 13,960 tons. That's a pretty good ocean liner. 437 feet, the exact long, with, you know, on a fraction. 73 feet wide and 44 feet high. 44 feet, how high is that? It's, um, few stories high. Some people who work with math say that that art would hold 522 railroad cars full of product. 522 cars stuff were going in there. They estimate that Noah put on that ark about a million different animals or insects or birds, probably 3,500 mammals, about 8,600 birds, and 18,000 fish, if he put them on, would have been available at that time, so on. And they say that it began to rain, according to the Scripture, and the waters came up, and this thing floated. And it finally landed on a mountaintop. Mount Ararat, one of the high mountains today, never yet have found it. But they think they know where it is. And people begin to say, now that's impossible that it rained enough to cover every high mountain in the world. How high are our own mountains here in West Virginia? And then the uh, Rockies are even higher, and the Andes are higher, and so on. Tremendous, thousands of feet high, and the water covered all of those? We are making an assumption that those mountains were there at that time. Remember, the world has been populated only a thousand years now. It hasn't even rained yet. It very likely had only just little small hills, not very high, a few feet high. Not huge mountains like we have now. And all of this transferring and changing and the shifting begin to take place after the flood. And the mountains began to, to arise and therefore leaving the great gaps between the Uh, the continents so that the water rushed to those low spots. We know that the uh, Rocky Mountains are young mountains and they're still growing. And every once in a while there's another peak somewhere that shows up in, in some of our oceans. So it is not inconceivable that the flood covered the entire earth not just a little local flood. Even the American Indians who had never heard the gospel preached had a story of a flood and an ark. Every people of the world have some kind of story dealing with a tremendous flood and a boat that floated and saved some people. It's in, it's, it's in history. Here is Noah and his family inside this boat. Scientists have reconstructed the ark to see just how it would function, and they discovered that those dimensions makes that boat nearly insinkable. You just about don't sink it. It floated around out there in that flood. For all that time and finally came to rest on a mountaintop from noah and his family get out and the first thing that Noah does is worship he built an altar if you go over to chapter eight with me God makes a promise chapter 8 verse 21. The Lord smelled a sweet savor, that's from the altar, and the Lord said into his, said in his heart, I will not, again, curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Remember the ground was cursed after Adam's sin? He says, I will not curse the ground anymore. Verse, uh, well, down to the end of that same verse, I again, uh, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. I will not destroy it, he's saying, ever again. Verse 22, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. He has never changed that order. He promised from the very beginning. Hear from the flood on that never would the earth be destroyed by this way again. Now look at chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We had a lot of time I would like to discuss the comparison between this verse and back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when God said the same thing to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Sometime in Bible study, we'll deal with that. Replenish means to refurnish, to put back what once was there. Is there a possibility that there was somebody on earth before Adam and Eve? I'll leave that to you to dwell on a little bit. But he said to Noah and to his sons, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. Here's an interesting statement. There is a change in the relationship between man and the animals. When God created the animal world, he brought them all to to Adam, and Adam, right there, handled them. He named them all. There was no fear. There was a communication between Adam and the, the animal world. Remember that Eve talked to the snake and she did it uh, very ordinarily as though this were a common thing there was communication and when Noah put the animals upon the ark although we can have all the fun we want about uh, the animals getting on and the fuss and fume that Noah had nevertheless they walked on the ark because there was a camaraderie between them but that is about to cease the good nature between the animal world and the human world goes out the window in verse 2 of chapter 9. Now then, from this point on, there is going to be fear in the animal world of man. That attitude of uh, feeling good is going to come back during the millennium. When we are told that a child can play on the cockroach den, that's a poison, a scorpion type thing, that a lamb and a lion will lay down together, there is going to be a return to that type of relationship in the millennium. But between the... Flood, and at that point in time there is going to be animosity and a fear. Uh, the animal world is going to be afraid of man. Why? Because we discover in verse 3 that now God has given the animal world to man to eat. In the time before the flood, they did not eat animal flesh they were vegetarians and now God has not only given the vegetables to man to eat but now after the flood he has given man permission to eat everything that moves now there are a few things that I'm not going to eat even if they do move even if God did give me permission to eat them uh, there are people who do Grasshoppers are a delicacy in some places, but I'm not inclined to put that in my diet, and a few other things. But I want you to notice that this change takes place. One thing, however, he instructed man not to do, he can eat the flesh, but he cannot eat the blood. Verse 4. He is not to eat the blood. All right. Go over to... um, Uh, 11 verse 11 where he says and I will establish my covenant with you and neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the water of a flood this is my promise he says no never again will the flood come and destroy the earth and the token in verse 12 and God said this is the token of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. He promised this not only to man, but to every living creature. For perpetual generations, forever. Thirteen, I do set my bow in the cloud, the rainbow, and it shall be for a token, that is a symbol, a sign of the covenant that I make between me and the earth. When we see the rainbow, it ought to call our attention to God that it is his sign of his everlasting covenant that he would never again destroy the world by a flood, and he promises this by the sign in the cloud. All right. There is simply one thing bad that we can see in the life of Noah. Unfortunately, we all have bad things in our lives, and the Bible has a way of calling a spade a spade, as we say, and does not gloss over the sins of people. If an Old Testament person who was uh, was a leader of the people sinned, the Bible would call it to our attention that they did this, and Noah is no exception we found that he started out as a very righteous man and God thought so highly of him because he did right he walked with God but there's one day that he quit walking. After he got off the boat and he, he became a farmer and he planted a vineyard, he raised grapes and he had a right to uh, indulge in the product that he raised and so he drank out of the wine and he got drunk. You'll find that in chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. He drank of the wine and was drunken. People will do strange things when they're under the control of alcohol. I don't particularly want to uh, deal with alcohol as such, only to say that it is certainly one of those things that we consider is uh, a sin. If a person is, gets drunk, that's a sin. If a person overeats, that's a sin. We have a tendency to excuse our overeating and ridicule the person who gets drunk. We have no right to do that. Not at all. They just have as much right to criticize us for our overeating as for those that we criticize for overdrinking. But nevertheless, it is a sin, and it is discovered time and time again throughout the Old Testament and here is a man of God who succumbs to drunkenness and uh, he, he doesn't have any clothes on. A drunken man will do about anything. Some of the drunks that I have had to deal with would uh, it would be quite interesting to put all that down in the book uh, and tell you the antics that a person uh, has committed under the influence of alcohol. I have been told that if a drunk would see a movie of himself when he was drunk, that he wouldn't drink anymore. And that may very well be right. Uh, I've seen some terribly ugly things that a person does when he doesn't know that he is doing something ugly. Because it dulls the mind and, and one's reception to and perception to things. So he's drunk, he's thrown off all of his clothes, and he's laying in his tent, passed out. And him, one of his sons, goes in the tent and sees him. And he should not have done that, but that wasn't the worst thing he did. He came out and told his two brothers. And the scripture would infer that he probably was making light of it and laughing at his dad being drunk. That's one thing that I think we should never do, is make fun of a person who is overcome by alcohol or anything else. It does not behoove us to be too critical of people who have succumbed to some weakness because we all have our own weaknesses. And we could certainly be in the same boat. But the two other boys were more honorable and and upright, and so they find some clothing, and they back into the tent so that they would not see their father's nakedness and cover the man. And it's out of this story that we have that him must be the servant of the others throughout his life, and therefore the, the theory that he is the black man and the black man is supposed to serve the white man, you can't follow that all. Way through, but this is the story that it comes from. When uh, when people want to to use this, well, this is the story of Noah in a nutshell. Uh, and we'll we'll conclude it at that. A great man after God's own heart, but a man who fell and sinned and caused a nasty scene in his family. But nevertheless, a man that saved the the world from extinction, because he was right. He loved God. We need more people who would get the MLB. The attention of God, and the world would certainly be a better place if we had more people like Noah in it. Let's pray.